Hey guys, welcome to the Indie Game Development Podcast. We tackle the challenges of indie game development head-on from the technical to the emotional, and talk about the secrets to conquering self-doubt on your journey to crafting games that people will love. Subscribe so you never miss another episode, and if you haven't already done so, please give us a rating and review so that this podcast gets shared with even more people. We'd really, really appreciate it. Ready? Let's go. Hey guys, I am Brandon from Sasquatch B Studios and I make video games and videos about making video games just like my friend here, DeFluffy Potato, or some of you might know him better as just Fluffy. So how's it going, man? Thank you so much for joining me, by the way. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So yeah, if you're cool, let's just dive right into it. And so just for people who do not know who you are, they're not familiar with your YouTube channel, do you mind just uh, telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do? Um, are you part-time, full-time? Do you work completely solo? Yeah, all of that. Yeah, so I my YouTube channel, which is what most people will know me from, is uh, it's game development and tutorials and anything related, really. Uh, so I focus specifically on using Python and Pygame, which is an unusual combination, especially for game development. Uh, but uh, I, I make tutorials specifically for, I, I've done some Python specific stuff, um, and then I more specifically get into uh, Python and Pygame, but there are some broader topics in there as well. And then I also cover some more general game development topics as well. So my most popular video was why I'm glad I didn't use a game engine, but... Um, <laughs> I just watched that so, one this morning. <laughs> Yeah, so that that there were a lot of people that didn't like that video. Um, I, it was a bit poorly worded because uh, people thought that uh, well, like, people misunderstood what I was trying to say because of the way it was framed. Because I was originally speaking to my intended audience, and one of the things that happens with YouTube is sometimes you'll be trying to speak to your the audience that you already have, and then it just promotes it like crazy, which yep. is what happened there. I was expecting to get like, what, 5,000 views, and I got like <laughs> 600,000. <000. Yep. laughs> um, so the people that weren't my actual audience misunderstood it, and that's part of the reason it blew up, but that was funny. Um, but I have other videos that aren't like um, super Python related. They're more game development related, um, and just talking about that stuff as well. Uh, but my skills are actually more so in programming and game development. Uh, my YouTube channel is more of a byproduct of everything else that I do. Uh, I don't actually put too much time into making videos. Uh, I like to make interesting things and then make videos based on that. Uh, and that's uh, a kind of philosophy that I've seen a lot of other game development YouTubers shifting towards, but um, yeah, that's what I've been doing on YouTube. And then, like I said, I specialize in game development. That's where I got my, uh, well, that's where most of my skills are. Yep. Uh, and then I'm not actually full-time game development. I'm not full-time anything, really. Uh, so I'm a student. I am getting a bachelor's in computer science. Nice. I'm finishing this year, actually. Good for you. Uh, and um, I, I've had jobs as well. So I've always done uh, game development on the side. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I treat it like a hobby. I make money from it, but I do it in my extra time for fun. Um, gotcha. So, gotcha. Uh, th that's where I'm with that. And then um, the jobs that I've had, I've worked in the aerospace industry um, on both flight simulators and then I worked on parts for rockets. Um, and surprisingly, game development transfers to those things very well. Um, so I, I'm constantly changing how I balance out my time, but I'm doing all sorts of things all the time, and I, I'll just put whatever on my YouTube channel. So that, that's, <laughs> I guess, the big summary of what I do. That's a bit longer than I intended. 
Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Hey, that that's really cool. This is so and it's funny because um like I said I watched your video this morning on um why you don't use a game engine and I I really liked the video and <laughs> you, it made me laugh at the beginning because you said um yeah. At the time, you had like a, I can't remember the number, it was like a 30 minute time limit for playing games each day. So <laughs> to kind of go against that, you're like, oh, well, if I'm making games, then I get to play a lot longer than that because I'm doing something creative, right? So is that, is there any like, because I'm, I'm always curious, uh, is game dev something that people that you were always interested in getting into and just how about did you get started in this industry? Because I saw that video just this morning. So is that kind of how you got started with all of this it was kind of just like almost like a little rebellious thing against your parents or was it is there anything did it go further back than that well it wasn't supposed to be rebellious or anything um it was more like uh i just wanted to play more video games but <laughs> i mean a lot of it was that i was um like i got into programming because i was bored and um also because I, I didn't, funny enough, I didn't think at that time that I was smart enough to actually make games. Um, so that was just kind of a side thing where it was that I, like, if I could make games, it would be really cool if I could just make games and then play as much as I want. Um, so that, that's how that <laughs> ended up. But <laughs> I, I primarily got started in programming um, because I, I was just bored. So, and then I immediately once I started programming, the, the first thing I was doing was making like little text-based games and stuff. And then a couple months later, I got into Pygame. Uh, and that's kind of what I've been using ever since. I learned a lot of other stuff to make games with, but I still use Pygame mostly. Um, and yeah, so that, that's how I got into things. Mm -hmm. uh, it just kind of scaled up over time. I had a time period where no one was really looking at my stuff. Um, and I wasn't really in any communities, so I kind of had a slump for a while where I didn't really do much. And I, just because I, I didn't have uh, much else to do, I eventually came back to it again. So, I mean, that 30 minute um, rule definitely contributed to it because um, either way, whether it was to play games or to just have something so that I wasn't bored. Um, it helped because otherwise, if I didn't have that limit, I could have just been playing video games to begin with. And I probably wouldn't have gotten into programming um, at that time because I was 12 uh, back then. That was 10 years ago. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's hard yeah, to be bored when I, I you're programming. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would have eventually gotten into programming um, just because of my other interests. Uh, but I, I think it would have been maybe four, five, six years down the road if it weren't for that. <laughs> Gotcha. So, yeah, gotcha. I was uh, just kind of perusing through your YouTube channel, and it seems like you like to do a lot of pixel art and uh, 2D yeah. side scrolling stuff. Uh, so are there any games that primarily like inspired the types of games that you like to make? Yeah, so uh, I, I I think some of the first games I played were on the Game Boy, like Game Boy Advance. So it, it was it had color. Um, <laughs> uh, so I was I think. I'm not sure if this is the first video game I played. Um, it, it was one of the first, at least like one of the first hand, I think it was the first handheld console game I played at least, uh, was uh, Fire Red. Uh, so that that's pixel art. Um, and a lot of games that I first initially played around then were, I had pixel art, so I played um, Red Rescue Team uh, and a couple other things. And then, uh, even when I got my own computer and everything, 
later on and I could play desktop games, I uh, didn't have a computer good enough to run most of like the fancy 3D games and stuff. So I was still playing a lot of 2D games um, and stuff like that. So it was just kind of the games I was around were pixel art and I, I grew to like that art style. And then I think some of the more modern, like popular inspirations that I can think of are um, early on, I was inspired a lot by Fez and uh, Hyperlight Drifter, um, which have completely different art styles, but they actually have the same composer, which is funny. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, for the smaller things that had a bigger impact, it was um, there's two game developers that did a lot of game jams um, some of which I participated in. Um, one of them was uh, Daniel Linson. Uh, he's best known for his game uh, uh, Rogue Light, um, and that's light as in like a light bulb. Okay. <laughs> uh, where you're like an archer, uh, and you um, sh- like your arrows light up the area around you. But uh, he made a lot of other games that had a nice pixel art style uh, that. I took inspiration from and then uh someone else i took even more inspiration from who's probably my biggest inspiration in the earlier days was rxi he he won a lot of i don't think he i don't know if he won the ludometers but he got a lot of medals in the ludometers um especially for his artwork i think uh and he uh, he did, did a lot of pixel art stuff too and uh i i don't think he really does ludum dares anymore which is the game gym um that he primarily participated in yeah uh but funny enough my last game gym entry which was for the ludum dare uh was a game that like and i say this in the entries page that is kind of uh, um artistically inspired by one of rxi's games from like i don't know it was like a decade ago uh <laughs> and um I ended up getting first place in graphics, uh, and actually, not only did I get it in Compa, which is where you just make a game in 48 hours by yourself, um, but I also got um, a rating that was higher than everyone in the jam category, which is where there's teams and you get more time. Really? Yeah. um, So, out of all the 2,000 or so entries in that Ludum Dare, I actually beat all of them in graphics. So, um, It's a badge uh, of pride you get to wear then. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, but that, that, like, it was, like I mentioned, it was artistically inspired by, um, RXI. I mean, you can tell if you can look at the games and see that we have very different art styles at this point. But if you look back at my older games, you can see this somewhere. Um, and that's kind of where my stuff has come from artistically. It's just a lot of inspiration did from you get, other stuff. Did you get into pixel art after you started programming, or is that something you kind of did for fun before? So I, I got in afterwards. So I, I was since I was twelve, I, I couldn't hire like someone to do artwork for me or anything. So I figured, hey, might as well just figure out myself. Uh, and you can look at some of my older pixel art, and it's pretty rough. Um, actually, it's a bit harder to find some of the stuff from like twenty thirteen. But um, I, I very slowly improved over time. I think if you look at a lot of pixel artists who specialize in that, you can see that they improved a lot quicker than I did. Uh, but I, I think I've uh, figured it out a fair bit over time. Uh, and it, it's just a skill that I developed as I've made games. Um, and and uh, an option would have been to use like pre, pre-made game ass, uh, assets, but I prefer the artistic control. So just right from the beginning, I, I wanted to do it myself. Yep. So just learning through trial, trial by fire kind yeah. of thing. 
And that, that's how I learn pretty much everything. Um, I, I usually learn things when I have a need to use them. Uh, so for a lot of programming stuff, I won't pick it up unless I have a reason to use it. Um, gotcha. So for a while, my skill set remains actually pretty small. Um, and even though I've had random projects here and there nowadays where I've actually learned tons of different technologies and languages and stuff, uh, I'm using Python most of the time because I can make it work and it's actually much more efficient to develop in. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because as you even said it yourself, using Pygame is not something that you hear about too, too often. Like the only other person that I watch fairly regularly is Code Bullet, and I wouldn't call him a traditional game developer. He, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He likes to do um, yeah. AI stuff. And uh, I don't know if he still uses Pygame, but it certainly was a thing that he relied on a lot in the past. And it's just something you don't hear about too, too much. So I'm just curious as to uh, what led to that decision. And have you ever, I know that I think I saw on your YouTube channel, you've used Godot maybe once or twice for like a jam. Um, yep. But have you considered using an engine um, outside of that? Or you seem to like Pygame. Just kind of explain that a little bit to me. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I, I did get started with Pygame in like, what, 2013 when I started programming. Um, and it was just what was the main option for game development with Python at the time. Another option was uh, Pyglet. Um, but it was, I think, already starting to lose popularity and it has like almost no one using it nowadays. And uh, Pyglet's like the OpenGL version. Um, and like it's an interface kind of for OpenGL and some other stuff in there. Whereas uh, Pygame is a wrapper for SDL, uh, which is what a lot of people use if they're making games with um, C++ for, for some of the simpler stuff. Uh, if they're not directly using like OpenGL, um, or if they're not using like a bigger engine or something, uh, but it's pretty common for certain types of applications, and, and I mean like applications, not necessarily game development stuff. So <laughs> it's used for all sorts of things. Um, in SDL, the the main thing is that you get to just put images on top of images and do basic transformations and stuff. So uh, one of the things that distinguishes Pygame is that. Uh, you're working on a very low level. There's no physics, there's no particles, there's no animations. There is collision detection for like certain types of shapes that you can do, okay. uh, but you, there's no way to resolve actual collisions, so there's no actual physics. So it's mainly just, here's some shapes, you can maybe collide them and see if they are colliding. Um, here's some functionality for like putting an image on the screen, you can play a sound, look at what the keyboard's inputting, uh, and that's basically the type of thing that Pygame's capable of. Everything else you have to build up from there. Wow. So uh, I think I mentioned this in that my most popular video, which um, I think you just watched, uh, and uh, Pygame's great for uh, uh, like learning if you're planning on going into computer science yep. or like just software engineering in general because you get a lot more general experience with programming since you're building all this stuff from scratch. It, and Python's then, one of the most popular languages, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Yeah, it is. Um, and then one of the benefits of Python is just that the syntax is really short. You can get stuff done very quickly. It's not the fastest, uh, but it's like quick to develop with. Uh, and that's a similar case with Pygame once you've built your own framework, which is what my situation is. So after enough time of using it, I've 
kind of built up my own set of scripts that I use and eventually turned it into my own framework that I use. Uh, and I can make games actually a lot quicker nowadays than uh, people using game engines. So there's all sorts of reasons you could want to use Pygame over a game engine. Uh, but in my case, um, because of where I am right now, it's just that I can make stuff faster with Pygame. There's some stuff that you can't really do with Pygame, and that's like um, some of the 3D stuff. Right. Uh, you can actually do shaders and some 3D stuff, but you start easing into using just OpenGL instead of Pygame, and that's something you can do. You can set up an OpenGL context in Pygame so that you can... Uh, just be working with OpenGL with Python. Um, and that's something I do with a lot of my games nowadays so I can use shaders. Gotcha. Um, and then I'll like render in Pygame, pass it into OpenGL, render it with shaders. So I do like a two-stage rendering thing. Um, but uh, yeah, so like I said, the main reason for using Pygame nowadays is just that I can work quicker. But uh, for other engines and stuff, I have gotten into Godot because uh, like for 3D stuff, I know how to do a lot of that stuff from scratch, actually. Um, and I, I actually have some examples where I have done that in Pygame and something called Modern Geo. Okay. Uh, but it's just, for 3D stuff, it's just too much <laughs> to build yourself. Um, and especially with what I want to do with Godot with VR stuff, um, that's not something I really want to mess with from scratch. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> Unity and Unreal I've tried, but I wasn't a huge fan of them. I, I do like Godot way more, so I don't have any reason to use Unity or Unreal at the moment. Gotcha. Yeah, so it sounds like it, for someone in your situation, um, maybe getting started would be a lot slower because you'd have to build up all your own frameworks. But now that you've already gone through that, as you yep. say, you can build games a whole lot faster than someone who's using something like Unity or Unreal because you have... Yeah, you've got your own framework that you probably understand superbly well, I would imagine, compared to... Yeah, and yeah. part of the advantage of having your own framework is that you can build it to fit the needs of whatever you're working on. Uh, so uh, game engines have to be made so that they fit the needs of pretty much everyone. Yeah. Whereas if you're making your own thing, you know what types of games you're making, and you know how to structure everything so that you can make the types of games that you're making as efficiently as possible. So... Um, the more you kind of get into the specifics of what types of things you're making, the faster you'll be able to work, which is great. Gotcha. Yeah, because your most popular video, what you said in there, I, I thought was really, really wise, actually. You said, what did you say? It depends on what your goals are, right? If your goals yeah. uh, are to just make games as quickly as possible and you're learning from scratch, then using an engine might be your better way to go. But if you have the time and uh, and you might want to be able to branch out into other things later on than doing what you're doing might make a whole lot more sense so and i would agree with that 100 percent. yeah and if you're if you are planning on doing game development long term I, I think you do need to pick up a game engine at some point especially if you're working with other people like for example if i wanted to collaborate with people um there's not very many to pick from <laughs> uh, if i run into a game developer on the street i'm not going to be able to work with them and actually something that came up recently was um i got invited on to uh blackthorn prods like um uh oh the like, past the game challenge it, uh yeah, yeah. The, the the make the game without communicating thing so i got invited onto that and i was like wait aren't you guys using unity <laughs> and, and I, I think he uh Either it didn't either didn't cross his mind or um, uh, he just didn't know that I don't use Unity. Ah. Um, but I uh, I might go on if he uh, does something with Godot in the future. But 
yeah if, if a lot of times you, if you just run to other game developers you can't work with them yep. uh so it is something you would probably need to pick up if your main interest is game development and it's not just something you're doing um for fun kind of on the side um and uh even if you do pick up with those other engines you can choose at that point which one you want to uh use but it's good to know um how to use game engines in that circumstance makes sense so i want to ask because and correct me if i'm wrong please but uh you've released two I, i've got the names over here you've released two commercial releases on steam right drawn down abyss and super potato bra is that right yep yeah and they both have really overall positive reviews on steam so i'm just curious because i haven't released anything yet and i know a lot of people listening are probably in the states where they're wanting to release something but they're not there yet so just what what was your experience like releasing those games just tell me a little bit about that yeah so um the first one actually uh i'm trying to remember if this is a video that i already put out or if it was no i I think it was in my Godot video, I mentioned that um, I, I was talking to someone uh, in the Ludum Dare IRC and just kind of the conversation came up of like making and selling games. And I don't remember what exactly what was said, but um, something along the lines of like, I think I mentioned that I could probably make a decent like, I don't know, like 100 bucks, is, I think is what I said, uh, if I were to sell a game that I made. Um, and then I think the, the guy said, um, uh, well then do it uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember if it was encouragement or if he was um, kind of annoyed or something but I, I ended up doing it and I made Super Potato Bra uh, I initially released it on itch.io um, my expectations were really low and this is something I recommend if you're um, releasing your first game like if you're selling it um, is to keep your expectations low like I said I was going for a hundred dollars um, so I released it on itch.io and I just kind of promoted it on Reddit and um, a couple other places because uh, I didn't have a YouTube following when I released either of those games. Okay. Um, so I promoted it on Reddit and um, I, I actually got like I think a few hundred dollars in the first day. So I was like, hey, wait, this is enough to release it on Steam because it's a hundred dollars to release a game on Steam. So yep. I went and did that. And then because I was marketing on Reddit where it's like um, you just make a post and then a lot of like, people will upvote it. And if as long as you have a reason to post, <laughs> a lot of extra people are going to see it. So I had a second reason to post and uh, and um, it did really well. Like the second post did really well and a lot of people saw that. Um, and um, so I had both the posts for the initial release and then the Steam release. And then um, that builds up a fair amount of sales. So I ended up making, I think, a total over $3,000 from that game, nice. uh, which is pretty good uh, for, well, I mean, for most games, that's not very good. But uh, I only put 100 hours into making that game. So when you actually do the math on that, that's actually pretty decent. Um, yeah, and then the second game, Drawn Down Abyss, was 120 hours to make. So, <laughs> um, I, and I got similar sales. So uh, both of those returns were pretty good for what I did. But uh, I, I think my main recommendation is to, I guess, keep your expectations low. Because um, especially your first game, uh, you're probably not used to the amount of feedback you'll be getting and like just the types of things people will be annoyed by. Yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of things that can go wrong. And 
I, it's really dangerous to do that thing that I see a lot of people doing where they'll quit their job and then try to make their dream game or something. Um, I, I've kept jobs on the side and kept kind of pursuing software engineering kind of as a backup plan. Uh, but um, the other thing I would recommend is to um, not forget about marketing because uh, yep. For a lot of games, it can be pretty good, and then no one sees it, no one plays it. Um, and I think the most important time is like right when you release, there needs to be a marketing push because I, it's like, um, especially with the Steam algorithm and the way that things get promoted, a lot of it's kind of um, exponential. Uh, so, like, you, um, being able to put everything all in at once will probably get you more than just like putting in a small effort over time. Um, it's good to build up so you can get a big push at the release uh but uh th that's um it, it's important to be able to have that big push at the release anyways uh, sorry for your second game did you have a following by the time you made your second game on steam i was not clear really on that. not really okay no um you can actually look at the release dates on my uh youtube channel i, I didn't really i think i may have, may have made a couple tutorials but i didn't really have a following yet i think it's like those videos maybe had like 100 views or something um <laughs> But, uh, so yeah, the, those ones I marketed purely by Reddit. And the great thing about Reddit is that it's merit-based because people don't really follow people on Reddit. It's by subreddit. Uh, and people will upload your post based on its quality. So if you don't have a following, Reddit's a great place. Although there's very limited communities where you can promote things to get eyes on them efficiently uh, and will that allow it. Uh, so it, it part of the game is figuring out which ones you can do that in. Um, some of the other marketing techniques are to um, like reach out to journalists and stuff, which I don't recommend anymore because no one really cares about journalists anymore. Um, the more common thing nowadays is uh, to reach out to viewers, uh, which I did didn't really have much success with. Um, I, I don't know too much about being successful with the marketing on that level from just kind of bare bones. You don't really have anything to start with aside from just using Reddit. Um, so my strategy has been to build up a following. And I think if you want to do this for a living, it's good to have a following so that you can release multiple games and people will come back and try that out. And I actually haven't um, re released a game since I got a following on YouTube, which is um, interesting because I have no idea how much I would make if I did. <laughs> um, do you plan on and on making another I, one? I, I, I'm hoping to soon-ish. Yeah, I would recommend if you can to try to get an actual following if you're trying to do this for a living or something yeah. uh, and that way you can bring people back to your um, work and it you don't have to think as hard about marketing and it's not as I guess luck based it takes the luck out of it I feel like I feel like which is why I've done that <laughs> well part of why I have other reasons for making my YouTube channel but um, yeah <laughs> there's a lot of good reasons you can also just provide yourself a small income on the side as well with it um, whether it's yep. through sponsorships or ad revenues not very much unless you have like a crap ton of views but uh you know it's uh there, there's so many good reasons for building a following so yeah i i agree 100 percent. do you mind if i ask you about your development process of either one of your games just in terms of if you have like a memory of I'm curious as to whether you have a really particular memory in terms of a really high point, like something that you're just really, really proud of or something, some new system you made or framework or something, just a really high point. And also just a really like, did you have any super, super low points? I'm just always curious about those kind of stories. Yeah. So 
Um, for low points, I think it's usually whenever I have to start making actual content for games. I I'm, I really like making uh, the mechanics and just like the coding aspect. But once I have to sit down and make like hundreds of assets or something like that, uh, you're a programmer really first. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, and I, like I mentioned before, I got into art because I was into starting to get into game development from a programming standpoint. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I do get bored of art if I do it for too long. <laughs> um, and it's not just that because content can be other things. And what happened with Super Potato Bra was that I would have to sit there for hours making levels and uh, like just in a level editor. And that, that gets really repetitive and boring, I think. Yep. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like the first couple are fun to do. Uh, but then once you've done like 20 of them, uh, it, it gets really repetitive. And that, that's probably the most unenjoyable part of the experience for me. Did you have any trouble um, with like keeping yourself motivated while you were going through that? So for Super Potato Bra, I actually had like a schedule. Um, it was like, this day I'm going to make these levels. And like I had it planned out and it was like, I only had to do it for a couple weeks and I was going to be done because like I mentioned, it was 100 hours of work. So um, <laughs> uh, that helps. But um, for a lot of projects uh, that are larger, uh, I get pretty bored working on the content, which is one of the biggest hurdles for me when releasing games. So um, nowadays, I've pretty much just gotten used to the idea that that's a problem for me. So what I'm doing instead is I'm designing my games with that in mind so that I don't have to spend a lot of time like uh, working on content. And it's more about working on the mechanics and other stuff. Gotcha. Um, so like one of my like my main single player project right now is uh, like a um, a it has automatic like world generation and stuff like that so I don't have to create too like it uses preset areas but I don't have to create too many of them um, and it kind of stitches them together and a lot of it's kind of procedural nice. uh, so uh, that way I don't have to spend too much time on content I'll have to create lots of enemies and stuff but I mean I had to do the same thing for drawn down abyss um, and uh, the focus is going to be more on the mechanics and kind of the roguelike elements. And that way I don't have to deal with that content hurdle too much. And then my other main project right now uh, is a online multiplayer racing thing that's like Mario Kart. And that thing, sorry, there's a lot more. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that project, uh, I don't have to do too much content for. Most of the time I'm working on like mechanics net code stuff like that and I, the the tedious part is like making tracks but i can just take it one at a time um and just like make a course in like a couple hours and then um not have to worry about that for a while because i don't need that many of them either so that's that's another nice project i have for that um for the high points i think it's just kind of whenever well Definitely when I release the games and uh, like, uh, they do well, that that's the best part, I think. Yep. <laughs> um, but in the actual development process, the high point for me is probably when I finish like uh, the core mechanics and I can start seeing the game take shape. Yeah, that's yeah. like that, that's a really, really fun stage. So you've you've created two commercial releases and you, you've got all sorts of other small projects under your belt as well. So just for anyone who's listening 
that is working towards their first commercial release right now. Um, you've already given a lot of advice, but uh, what yeah. what further advice would you give them just in terms of anything, expectations, uh, just what kind of advice would you give somebody if they asked you? Well, I've already mentioned a lot of the stuff with uh, the actual release of a game, that like my thoughts on that. But um, for the development, uh, I think well, a lot of it's going to depend on how you started your development. I think once you started, there's not a whole lot you can change unless you restart or you make some serious changes to what you're planning on doing. But I think uh, the big things are keep your scope small, which everyone says. And I mean, there's a reason everyone says it. Yep. Uh, but um, and I mean, a, a lot of game development, like in, in just any type of large project is going to depend a fair amount on discipline to actually finish stuff. Um, if you're counting on just natural motivation, uh, unless you're some of some lucky few or something, you're probably not going to do, um, do very well. So I think it's really important to have the discipline to work on things even when you don't want to. Yep. Um, and like. <laughs> With my first game, like I said, there was um, all the level editing stuff, and like I mentioned, I had to set up that like schedule, and it was like I just had to get through these couple of weeks, and then it's done. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think discipline's pretty important for that. Yep, uh, I'm so here. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear someone else talking about this because uh, there's a whole lot of parts about game development that are so unglamorous, and a lot of them are really, really boring, <laughs> yeah. honestly. So yeah, you kind of just have to um, find it in yourself to be able to power through some of that more boring stuff. And I, everybody's got different preferences, but uh, yeah, for you, it's level building. So you get to that stage and it's like, oh my God, yeah. It takes you a couple of weeks to get yeah. through it, but you just power through, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it helps if you are if you have a track record of making money to think about it from a, okay, I, I am at least going to probably get paid for this. <laughs> so you can kind of treat it like a job at that point. So like um, that helps. Uh, and that's what happened with Drawn Down Abyss. Where it was like, there's some stuff where I was powering through it because I, I had to make like, uh, there was like 50 something cards. I don't remember. Um, so I had to like power through adding all of those. <laughs> yeah, that that stage will exist for any games and game, even though, Nowadays, I'm working on reducing the size of that stage, but yeah. Gotcha. So um, I was looking at your itch.io page and you have like, you have a big, 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 long collection of games on there. And I'm just curious, I assume a lot of them, probably not all of them, but a lot of them are probably game jam entries, right? So I'm just, um, yeah. I'm just curious um, in terms of, especially for people that are listening that are a lot newer in the game dev space, um, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on how important, from your own personal opinion, how important are participating in game jams for experience, for building skills, all that stuff? Yeah, I, I think they're really important. I've, I've been meaning to make a video about this for, I think, uh, years actually um i just haven't gotten around to it uh i i think it's one of the most important things you can do as a game developer especially like I, it's a bit different if you're trying to get into a company but if you're planning on like working in a small indie team or if you're working for yourself i think it's really important to do game gems because uh for those who don't know in game gems you make a game in a short period of time you're given a theme um and sometimes you have the rules are that you have to work by yourself and create everything from scratch sometimes you can work with a team sometimes you can use even pre-existing assets i prefer to do ones where i have to make everything from scratch by myself yep. um but 
it's a great learning experience because it takes you through the whole process for game development, uh, like beginning to end, and um, you get to learn different things about the different stages. If you're working on big projects, um, you have to finish your first big project before you get like you can get to your second project where you have the experience of what the back end is like. Whereas if you do game gyms and you've done those small projects, um, you have more experience in that area. And game gyms are also great because the time frame kind of forces you to get it done in a short period of time. Um, and if you have a problem with finishing stuff, um, it's like one of the best ways to get stuff done. So if you even have problems getting done with short projects, um, I, I think game gems are probably the easiest way to get stuff done. They sound intimidating, but as long as you plan your scope correctly, it's not too hard. Uh, and the other aspect of game gems is that after you finish your game, you get to see what other people did with that same idea, and then people will give you feedback on your games, which is something that's very valuable early on and very hard to get early on. Yes. Uh, unless you have a lot of friends. Um, well, actually, the problem with friends is they're probably gonna not give you the best feedback because they be don't nice. wanna. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll be nice, and then also oftentimes they don't have. Uh, it's hard to find people that have experience with indie games and like know what's good what's not and stuff like that yep. whereas if you're doing gyms there's lots of people that have lots of experience in that area and can give you some really good feedback um and i, I think that's those are the two big things and i i also do like how in most game gyms you get ratings so you can kind of see how you've progressed over time so i can see that my ratings have slowly gone up over time which is cool to see um they're not entirely accurate of course but uh it, it, it's just good to improve your skills get feedback and just kind of see how you're going over time so it, it has a lot of use cases yep and um how do you find working under really tight time constraints like does that limit your does that hinder you or does it actually help you because i know that sometimes the creative process can be sometimes putting limits on it can actually make it a little bit easier to like come up with ideas and whatnot and i'm also curious just um have you ever entered a game jam and not been able to finish in time because maybe you overscoped or something like that? For the overscoping thing, um, I don't think that's really been my problem with the. There's been, I think, a, one or two game jams I didn't finish, and it's usually because I lose interest rather than scoping an issue. Gotcha. What you should be doing it when you're designing game jam games is to design it so that uh, if you do need to cut the scope so that you can finish it doesn't like completely break the game. Um, so it's good to have uh, solid basic mechanics that you can build off of. And then what I like to do is uh, save the extra content in polishing. Well, actually, I do a lot of polishing earlier, but some of the polishing is saved for the end and especially the content so that I can just cut it easily if I misjudge the scope. But uh, yeah, I think working under those time constraints um, helps me because well, I do sometimes get bored with projects as well, so it just helps me stick to things and finish it. So I've done like 20 something, actually, I don't know, maybe if it's almost 30 game jams now. Um, <laughs> so uh, they definitely help me get stuff out because I'll do like a, maybe two or three a year. Um, and so they're like 90 something percent of the games that I've released. And uh, I, I think like I mentioned, there's only one or two where I didn't actually end up releasing something. Okay. So I, I think as long as you plan it out right at the beginning, it's not too hard to um, finish what something is playable. Do you often work it out on paper? Uh, whether uh, I did once. Okay. Um, 
I think it can be useful to do it that way, but I've I've done enough game jams now where I can, for especially for something that's the scope of a game jam game, I can do it in my head. Okay. Um, and I, I think one of the skills that game jams gave me is the ability to test out uh, game ideas in my head and just kind of play it in my head and see what works and what doesn't. Um, uh, although I do make a lot of mistakes still, and you can see that in some of uh, my games. Usually it's actually control related, because um, uh, specifically I have uh, a track record of having um, bad controls in some of my, I guess, games from a few years back. But um, I think more recently people have been a lot more happy with my games. <laughs> Are you talking... Just so that I'm clear, are you talking from a design perspective? You're you're thinking of an idea in your mind, and then it's given you the skill to be able to figure out whether that design aspect for your game is good before you actually yeah. implement it. Yes. Yeah, so okay. it's like the whole game design. So you, um, like the way I do it is I, I just kind of well usually I start with a theme and I try to think of an interesting interesting mechanic based on that theme. And then I try to figure out how to turn that mechanic into a game. Um, sure. And then you have to be able to kind of play through it in your head, uh, look for places where this might, or where a mechanic might be abused or something. Because a lot of times mechanics don't fit together very nicely. So you have to be able to tell what would and wouldn't work and be able to work from there. Uh, if you have to make the whole game or, or prototype the whole thing in order to figure it out, you're, you're going to waste a lot of time. Right. Um, and it's especially important in um, game jams, which is why it's good for picking up that skill. Uh, but for big games as well, um, especially for like, uh, you can't prototype everything in a very short amount of time unless it's um, one of those games where it's like simple mechanics and there's just a lot of content. But uh, it, it's just a useful skill to have. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I want to ask about your YouTube channel because and we already talked about this a little bit, but I just want to elaborate on it some because you have a successful YouTube channel. I think you're you're over you're at like 54,000 subscribers I want to say but that's off the top of my head I could be wrong uh but yeah you're, something like that you're around that mark yeah so in terms of if someone were wanting to if you wanted to I know you're not full-time but if you wanted to be a full-time game developer and make a living just off of like game dev related stuff whether that be your YouTube as well as game sales obviously just how important do you think it is to have a YouTube channel specifically? Because I, there's so many things you can do for marketing. And I feel like at least a lot of the people that I know, they go into this with this idea of, I need to have a YouTube channel. And I'm just, I'm always curious to hear what other people's perspectives are. Keep it in mind that you have a YouTube channel. So you're probably a little bit biased there. Yeah. So, well, like I mentioned before, YouTube really helps with marketing, I think. Uh, but uh also there's the aspect of just getting free play testing uh, so yep. normally if you want uh an idea tested well, one technique i've seen people use is to just enter game jams uh and then kind of adapt their idea to the game jam or sometimes there's oh. game jams that don't have a theme so they they can just get feedback um that's interesting but, uh, i wouldn't have thought of that but uh yeah so youtube's like a, a pretty decent way to get feedback for games. So like I, I've been doing play tests for my racing game recently. And uh, we had like on the last time one, we had, uh, I think like 13 or four, oh, no, we had like 12 people. And, um, and in the next one we might have like uh, 30 something. Nice. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's just really good for getting feedback. It's good for um, marketing. 
but I don't think it's a necessity. I think it just makes it I, uh, probably less stressful in a sense because uh, you ha have a way to market your game and just get eyes on it. Um, and then if at that point it doesn't do very well, um, you know it's because of the game and not because of the market and marketing. So it, it's just nice to have. I, uh, like I said, I don't think it's essential. There are other ways to market games, yep. um, but it, it's useful to have it. Um, and I think if you look for any marketing guide, um, they will recommend you build a social media following. Um, well, marketing guide for game development. Um, but yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and game development as well as YouTube, <laughs> they're both really, really hard to get into. It's hard to make money in game development. It's hard to make a name for yourself. And on YouTube, you know, it takes a whole lot of work to actually build up your subscriber base and, and it, you know, I'm sure. And, um, so for someone that is listening, that's wanting to get into doing both at the same time, what advice would you give them? What, what are the pros and cons in your mind? Because there's definitely cons to doing both at the same time. I'm just curious to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. So for the cons, I mean, definitely the biggest thing is just the, the time sink. Uh, I, I think if you're getting into it, it's important to think about how you want to approach YouTube. So there, there's a couple different techniques. Uh, and I, I mentioned this before. Um, there are people that make uh, YouTube videos about the things, the game development stuff they're working on. That's like the devlogs and stuff. But not all devlogs actually fall into that category. The other thing is that there are people that make content or make games and stuff to make YouTube videos. And that's the easy way to become successful on YouTube. Um, because I mean, obviously, if you're if you're focusing on YouTube and making stuff for YouTube, it'll do a lot better as opposed to just making stuff about whatever you're working on. Yes. But that has a huge impact on where you put your time. Um, and so you mentioned Codebullet before. He makes his stuff primarily for YouTube. Um, whereas, uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, uh, there's um, like a a game that released not too long ago is like who's is punch a bunch i think i forgot what the youtuber was that made it but um, he was focused on pants right uh, maybe i think so um but he he was focusing on the devlog side and um so you can tell i think from the game release that he put more effort into the game than youtube uh so it's important to think about that um and it will affect your growth uh and then also something to consider if you're trying to build an audience is that uh, going straight into devlogs is actually not a very reliable method for building an audience. Uh, something you'll see from a lot of the people in this like space of YouTube is that they actually just got started with tutorials. Yeah. So like if you look at Danny, um, he, he got started with tutorials. If you look at someone like Michael Reeves, he got started with tutorials. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, oh, and also Michael Reeves um, has a video where he used Pi game, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of people uh, get started with tutorials, and I think it's one of the more reliable ways to get started if you want to do that. And then you just kind of shift into game development, and yeah, that's just really helpful. But I think we've already discussed. I think the pros of it, and yeah, yeah, like I said, the cons are just the time sink. And I mean, it's not just the time you're spending making the videos; it's also just learning how to make videos, um, managing it all. So it does take a fair bit of time. Uh, right now, I'm spending probably averaging two to three hours a week. So it's a pretty small commitment for me yeah. right now. Actually, maybe less, it might be two hours. 
but you can tell like my growth has not been great in the last couple of years. It's just been very slow and steady because I've just put in a couple hours here and there. So yeah, it's just, uh, I think the big thing is just consider how much you want to actually invest in doing that. So I'm, I'm curious then because I, I also make tutorials on my channel for unity specifically. And when I got started, or before I started making tutorials, I was like really, really nervous that like, I don't know enough. I, I don't know enough to be yeah. teaching other people how to be doing this. I feel like I'm a beginner myself. And I, I wouldn't say that anymore by any means. I'd, I'm somewhere in the intermediate category, I would think. But uh, for someone who wants to get started and maybe maybe they're thinking that they don't know enough to make tutorials, um, what would you say to someone like that? Well... So for a lot of things, there's a situation of it works. If it works, it works. So um, I, I think that even if you don't know what you're using too well, you could still make tutorials. Um, I think there's certain types of tutorials that are easier to make if you don't ha think you have the knowledge for certain types of things. So if you're like doing specific how-tos, like how to implement this specific thing, that's something that's really easy to do. Like, I mean... Like I said, if if it works, it works. So yep. <laughs> uh, for those types of tutorials, I think almost anyone can do it as long as you can actually make the thing. And then you can start working your way into more general stuff um, as you learn more. Uh, but I mean, it, it's not like a huge loss if you make a tutorial that's not that great. Um, yep. I, I tried to avoid it, but uh, it doesn't hurt too much. Um, ideally, it just wouldn't get promoted as much in the algorithm and then you can just forget about it. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it, uh, I, 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 for myself, I just kind of bouncing off of what you've said, I find that for tutorials, I've actually, I, I would say it's made me a lot better, a lot more quickly in a, in a really weird roundabout way. I think because I end up sinking a lot more time than I otherwise would when I'm making something, if I know that other people are going to be watching it. So I'm like, oh, this thing, if I was working on it just for me, I would call it good enough right here. But because I know other people are going to be watching, it's kind of like, well, I should probably take it one step further, cover all the edge cases, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah, I, I just find another pro just from my own perspective. Another pro is that it's helped me in my learning stage. It's just you learn best when you're trying to teach other people things, I think. Yeah, I, th I think there's a pretty common, I don't know what the exact saying is, but there's something along the lines of like the best way to learn is to teach. So yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> It does. If you're trying to make something good, uh, you will probably end up learning what you're talking about a lot better than you otherwise would have if you were just trying to use it. So um, it, it, it's very helpful to teach that stuff. I, I think at that stage where you're learning to make the tutorial more so than making a tutorial off of what you already know, um, I think it's in the area where the 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 quality might not be be the highest, but if the in that circumstance, um, if the the audience is not benefiting from it as much, you're probably benefiting from it more. So it's like someone's going to be benefiting. It's either going to be uh, your your audience or you, yep. I think, because um, uh, if you don't really have the knowledge in it yet, you have to pick it up. So, um, and then of course you can get both, I guess, if you pick it up really well. Uh, but you're probably going to miss some stuff if you're trying to do it for that purpose. Right. Um, so gotcha. like I, oh, the main idea is there's a benefit on both sides, regardless of your skill level on that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so I'm, you and I have been talking, we talked a little bit about motivation 
And um, I, I'm just curious because there are some people that are in the game development space that um, might not have the most supportive like circle of people around them. Um, some people flat out think that it's like a stupid childish thing to do. Some people think there's no money in it, et cetera, et cetera. And everyone's got different goals. I, I know that you're not a full-time game developer, but like regardless, trying to work on something, especially if you're trying to make it like you want to be a full-time indie developer, it can be really, really discouraging to be in that kind of a situation. So if there's someone out there that doesn't feel like they get a whole lot of outside support for their goals for what they're wanting to do what would you what would you say to that person well i i think to some extent um i i think this is similar to the whole discipline and motivation discussion i think if you don't have the discipline to work on something even when um people aren't supporting you all the time you might be setting yourself up to fail i mean if you have really supportive friends and a community um that's great uh but i think if you're thinking about this from a business standpoint um you're not going to want to be dependent on that um in case something happens uh i in when i got started my uh well, actually not necessarily when i got started i well i got started and then like a couple of years later i mentioned to my parents that like I was interested. I, I didn't even say I was going to necessarily do it. I, I just wanted to try and see if I could do game development for a living. Yep. And uh, my mother was not happy about that. Um, it was kind of what, like what he said. Um, she thought there was no money in it and not something you could do, and especially not by yourself. Uh, and then uh, I, I, I kind of took that as a challenge. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, my, my family has been otherwise supportive. Uh, it's just that um, I think my parents didn't quite get it at first. There's a um, lack of understanding from a lot of people. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, yeah, nowadays I am in a situation where if I wanted to, I could just move somewhere with a lower cost of living and I could live off of the stuff that I do in my own time. Um, so like my game development, my YouTube, stuff like that. Uh, so I, I feel like I've already made it to some extent. Um, but right now, like the situation is like eh, that I'm looking for a bit more money than that. So, uh, I'm considering doing part, part time, my own stuff, part time software engineering. That's what I'm kind of looking at right now. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, back to what I was mainly saying though, I, I think if you don't, uh, okay, if you need people to be constantly supporting you, you're setting yourself up to fail. So it's important to develop that discipline. If you can't, then um, game development not might not be the right thing for you. Um, and uh, I mean, it's perfectly fine to just do it when you feel like it for fun. But then you, at that point, you have to keep in mind that it is a hobby and you're probably not going to be doing it for a living. Right. Right. So just to sum everything up because i know that we've we've talked a lot about a lot of this stuff already a little bit but if someone is at day zero and they want to get into game development and you're you're sitting across from them and they they ask you personally what should i do where should i start i want to go from where i'm at now which is knowing absolutely nothing i don't know what i'm doing i don't know where to start and i want to be a full-time indie developer what what would you what would you tell them so for that, I actually had a video about uh, how to get into game development. I, I think I don't remember what the exact title was. But it's the one with the thumbnail where it's like where it says beginner to Steam or something like that. Okay. But um, it's one of my more popular ones. But 
you mentioned um, going straight into like um, full-time indie game development. So one of the things to consider is if you actually want to do full-time indie game development or not. Like I mentioned, that affects what you learn specifically if you're learning an engine or uh, to build stuff from scratch. Uh, and then uh, so something I'm going to ask for some clarification on is, is that full-time indie working by yourself or full-time indie uh, working with a team or both? Let's, that you're looking for let's say by yourself, but they're open to they're open to working with publishers. They're open to doing a yeah. Kickstarter. They're just but by but solo. Let's go solo. Okay, so yeah, in that case, I would say well, probably pick up a game engine. It's hard to say which one to use right now. You would have to research it yourself. It depends on the type of game you're making. You can look into those different things, and then you just kind of start making stuff. Um, just I guess start with whatever tutorial series you can find. And then just start to learn from there, modify things, make sure you understand what's happening in the tutorials you're learning from um, so that you can actually build things off of what you've seen. If you have to follow tutorials for everything, you're not really learning. You're learning when you can watch a tutorial and then you can do other things with what you've learned in that tutorial. Yes. So it's important to be able to figure out how to do that. So it's great to play around with stuff um, and just kind of figure out how everything works. Uh, and then I think aside from, well, that, I've mentioned in my videos that that idea of being reliant on tutorials completely is called tutorial hell. Um, so that's one of the big focuses for a new developer to get out of that, because um, that's kind of what people default to. I was stuck there um, for a so, long time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so I, that's like the biggest thing, I think. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, well, well, well I, I got into pixel art because uh, I didn't want to hire other people. So if you're planning on working by yourself, you might as well start learning those skills pretty much as soon as you start. So uh, if you're making a 2D game, start learning art. Uh, and then if you make a 3D game, start learning 3D modeling. You might as well start learning to compose music. Uh, maybe get into um, Foley a bit, which is where you start making sounds and record them with a microphone for sound effects and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> there, there are free assets you can use for sound that are pretty good, though. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're planning on going solo, I think it's important to pick up all of the skills and you need to be open to the idea that you're going to have to pick up tons of skills. And it's not just um, like the music, the art and the code, but you're also going to have to, unless you get a deal with a publisher, you're going to have to figure out marketing and stuff like that as well. And then um, you have your, um, if you're doing it as a business, you have to figure out your own um, like things from a business standpoint. So you have to learn about setting up an LLC and dealing with taxes and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Uh, th there's a lot that goes into it. So um, going from not knowing anything to being a full-time indie developer, working solo is, uh, I think, maybe one of the harder things you could do in life. <laughs> uh, like, um, it's a lot harder than, I think, getting into most other fields. And then the returns aren't as great. So you have to be doing it out of like a passion for um, game development, I think. Yeah. Be prepared to wear hundreds of different hats i guess yeah yeah well that's awesome man thank you so much i i just want to um give you an opportunity if there's anything that you'd like to share whether it's in terms of any last words you want to say or if you want to throw a self-promotion in there if there's anything you're working on anything anybody should wish list i definitely recommend that people go and check out your youtube channel which is the fluffy potato but yeah i'll open it up to you yeah so 
Uh, I don't have any like uh, Steam projects to promote right now or anything. Uh, I have some stuff in the works, but nothing with the Steam page yet. Um, if you want to follow my work, like uh, you mentioned, you can go to uh, my YouTube channel. And uh, lately, I've been like in the last couple of weeks, I've been doing play tests for multiplayer racing games. So if you're interested in uh, joining that, you can um, join my Discord server. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining me. It's been a blast. That's all I got. If you love this episode and you haven't already left a rating and review, please consider doing that now. It really helps the podcast grow and reach more awesome people like yourself. Thanks so much.